And I ask you that you would just be with us the rest of the service today. Lord, be with me. Help me to speak the words you have me to speak. Help me to do the work that you would have me to do. Help me to be obedient to listen and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team, for a great job again today. Um, I'm not really sure how to start today off, as it's always hard time to recognize changes when they come into our lives. But one thing is constant, and that is that in life, and that is that change is always there. Change is the one consistent thing that we can count on all the days of our life, is that change. God may have a consistent purpose for our life, and that purpose is to love him, serve him, and to win others for him. That's God's purpose for me. That's God's purpose for you, is that you love him, you serve him, and you win others for him. But in that purpose that God has, change comes in various seasons and various leadership And that's a constant thing. And if it's handled properly, it's very productive. So with much prayer that Chris and I have had towards the Lord over the past weeks, we've uh, come to a decision in our life that it's time for me to resign as the pastor here in Charlevoix. And um, I'll tell you all how this happened uh, because it's God in this, I believe. My purpose here is that I will be here for the next number of months through a transitionary period, and we'll still continue to serve as uh, the Lord leads me to serve here. And uh, come June, July, whatever time frame that is, then and we have another pastor in place. I do believe that God has a man already appointed for this church. I do believe he's there. It's just a matter of us finding him, the Lord showing us where he is and who he is. And he will become, he will come in and he will be the best pastor this church has ever had. But when I started back here pastoring back in the summer of 2009 as an, on an interim basis, I really felt the Lord leading myself and my family to get involved in leadership. And I believe that God has had a purpose for our life here. I believe that. I, I, I pray that. And I hope that that's been effective. The way, that, the way that this new opportunity came along, as you all know, I've been working in Grand Rapids for three days a week since last May or June, I was not looking for a job outside of the church. And my, you know, first of all, when I came up here in 2005, I had no intention of being a pastor. I came up here, and I, I, it was not in my heart to be a pastor. It, it was not even in my foreseeable future. If somebody told me then that I was going to be a pastor, I would have said, you're crazy. It's not my life. I'm an engineer. I'm a salesman. I'm in the business world. I'm not a pastor even though I've been in a lot of leadership and, and, and teaching and things down in the church, I felt that my role was a layman, and there's good roles for good, strong layman people, and I believe that 100%, and that's what I was, and that's what I'm going to become again as time moves on. So when I came up here then, and all the way things turned and happened and twisted and all the gyrations that we all know, it just kind of seemed to fit that the Lord, I felt the leading me to come in as an interim basis in, in cooperation with Ginger in the church. And uh, then it grew into a more full-time arrangement. And so for the past, I don't know, year and a half or so, I've been full-time. But last spring, uh, right after I had just done a wedding down in Grand Rapids for um, Becky, thank you. And, um, and I, I had known this man um, previous to this too, but he was the president of a company. And he called me a couple weeks later, and he said, Mike, he said, um, you just have been on my heart. 
we're looking for a person to fill this job in this in this company. And he said, I, I, you just keep coming to my, to my mind. And I said, are you, he said, are you interested in getting back in the business world or are you going to stay a pastor? And I said, John, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not chasing anything. Uh, I'm, my role right now is pastor. He says, well, if you're interested, I'd like you to take a look at this position. And um, so it was totally unsolicited from my end. I, I, was, I was here. But he said, come down, take a look at it. And I went down and took a look at it. And, um, and it, I just felt that there was a fit for me there on a part-time basis. And, and so we really do believe that God was in that calling in that job too. And that's where I believe God is so um, dynamic and that his, he, he can be so powerful in multiple ways in multiple areas. So I've been working part-time down there for the past uh, well, number of months. They came to me right after Christmas and said, we'd like to change your job from, a, from an engineering manager into a salesperson if you're interested in moving back into sales because there's another, another need in another part of the company. But we need to know what your plan is. Are you, are you, you know, part-time? And I recognize, too, that part-time in there and part-time here, running that many miles over the week was just draining, and I just couldn't do it. And, and thus I felt really that I was doing both companies a disservice, the company and the church. That was hard to do both. And I knew long term that I couldn't do both forever. So by praying about it and talking about it and looking through everything and looking at all, we decided that it's, I needed to step out and um, move into that and, and um, prepare this church for the next uh, man or woman or couple. I, I put my wife under a lot of stress, quite honestly. Coming in at 52, 50 years old, and uh, say, I'm going to be a pastor all of a sudden. When, when we got married, neither one of us signed up for that. Certainly she didn't sign up for it. And um, so I have to be sensitive to her. And I have to put her first. And I've kind of been maybe doing some things a little bit cowboyish maybe over the past few years. And, and I've recognized that. And I've asked God to forgive me for some of that. And so now I have, to, I have to do what's right for my wife and for my family and for me. So that's the plan. And that's the direction. So what I'd like to do then is prepare a transition. One thing I do want to have happen to the best of my ability and to the best I pray that God would lead us is that we would have a good transition for this church. Most of you here know the history of what's gone on in the past 20, 30 years here. And uh, quite honestly, um, I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't want to speak in any way maliciously at all. But reality is the last pastor transition that I can recall that was a good one was when Don Shorsch left back in 1977 or 78 or whatever that was. And ever since then, it's been stressed. Ever since, and every pastor that came in, he came in strong for a while, then I don't know what happened, God only knows, but it didn't end well. And so to the best of our knowledge, the best of our ability, we want to make sure that this transition is a good transition. I don't want to leave anybody hanging. I don't want to hurt anybody. I know there's people here that are sad, and there's probably people here that are glad. And uh, for those that are glad, <laughs> if there are, as, as, I would, as any pastor should say, be careful. Because I know there are personality issues and there are situations that are legitimate personality issues that people just don't get along. I understand that. But also recognize, too, the Holy Spirit and that problems, if they're not dealt with, will follow people. And I found in my life that if I am running 
to the next situation as a way to get out of the problems and I'm running from a problem rather than staying and dealing with the problem, the problem will meet me at the next place I go. And that's the same thing with the church. That if this church has a problem with me or any pastor, past or future, make sure that you deal with your heart appropriately. Otherwise, that problem will come up in the next pastor. I, uh, I feel somewhat unique in this situation because it was only three years ago I was sitting in your seat. And in six months, I'm going to be sitting in your seat. So everything that I say today, I understand that I have to do it too. I understand that I needed to do it. I also understand the position of a pastor today. I understand the role that he has. I understand the, um, the difficult job that it is. I was talking to Bob Moody over the weekend. And Bob was saying that years and years ago, Tom Zimmerman, I believe, he was the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. When he retired, he made a statement. He said that this church, this denomination, that the religious structure in general will curse the day that they ever made pastoring a profession. Because when you make a pastor, the pro, when it becomes a profession versus a brother, you set up a hierarchy. And he said, we will curse the day when we set up pastors as professions versus just being a brother in Christ. And I talked to Bob, and I said, Bob, do you think it has happened? He says, absolutely. He said, we're cursing the day because of the political structure because of the way it happens, because of the way people look at pastors today versus themselves, because of the role you pay a pastor, you think the pastor is going to do everything. Let me tell you one other thing that I've understood too is that Jesus is coming back for the church. He's not coming back for pastors. Jesus isn't coming back just for the few pastors. He's coming back for the church. What is the church? The church is the body. You are the church. We collectively are the church. So when Christ breaks that, the veil of the clouds and he comes back, he's not coming back just for pastors. He's not coming back for a profession. He's coming back for the body of Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about, is how important it is that we understand the bigger picture is not about the pastor. It's not about me, it's not about the pastor's past, and it's not about the pastor's future. This is all about you today. This is all about the church today. It's all about the body of Christ today. So I want to talk specifically this morning about how we prepare ourselves for the transition. And understand that this particular transition is going to be the most important one in your lifetime because it's today, because it's here and now. What happened 20 years ago, what happened 10 years ago, what happened five years ago is irrelevant. What's the most important thing is how we react today in the here and now for the future. So as we prepare and as we, as we examine the next few scriptures and as we examine now over the next few months what it means to prepare us as a body to prepare the home, if you will, 
for the next pastor, it's important that we be honest with ourselves. So let's talk about what is the church? What is it specifically? What does it look like? How should it act? What is its purpose? See, when God looks down at the church, he's just not looking at the pastor and see if he's doing a good job. He's just not looking at the pastor and saying, well, is he doing a good job? When the community looks in at the church, they're just not looking to see who the pastor is and if he's doing a good job. When God looks at the church, he's looking at, what, he's looking at everyone sitting in a chair. When the community looks into the church, they're looking at every one of us sitting in the chair. So when God looks at us, what is he looking for? God's perspective is, when he's looking at the church, are they pleasing me? That's God's perspective. Are they pleasing to me? And he has every right to ask that because he is God. Are they pleasing? Are they living a life pleasing to me? The world's perspective is, do I want to be a part of them? Do I like what I see? Do I want to be a part of that organization? Both are pretty important because God's measurement on the church will be how many people of the world became a part of the church. So if the church isn't drawing people in from the world, then how can God be pleased with the church? God just doesn't sit at the church and look down at us and say, wow, the same number of people are there this Sunday. Good job. And look at they're worshiping me. That's really nice. And he appreciates that, by the way. He does appreciate your praise and worship. But he's also wondering, how come the seat next to you is not full? Where is your friend that you work with? Where is your coworker? Where is your friend from school? It's a circular equation. The more the church draws in the world and influences the world, the more God is pleased with the church. The more the church draws in the world and influences the world, the more God is pleased with the church. What is the Great Commission? The Great Commission is to go out into all the world and make disciples of the world. We are, that's our job, folks. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. And certainly it's, up to, it's important that the pastor does his job. But, but understand, though, that the pastor really is a minor part if the church is a functioning body of Christ. The pastor is a minor part, really, if the church is functioning as it should function. But so many times people put all the responsibility back on the pastor because it's a profession. They say, well, he's being paid. It's his job. What else does he have to do? I mean, he preaches two hours a week. Uh, so what else? Is he, should have, he should do everything else. And, and unfortunately, that's the perspective of a lot of people. And, and there's some truth to that. I'm not saying the pastor doesn't have things to do. Absolutely, he's paid. He has a job to do. He has a function to do. And he needs to do it. It's his responsibility to lead and organize and provide direction for the church. Just as any other president would of any other organization, it's their responsibility to do that. But neither the president of a company nor the pastor of a church can do it in a vacuum. He must have people that are willing to get with him and lead and get involved and, and put ideas into action and to put plans together. So it's so important that the people of the church understand their role along with the pastors so they team together efficiently and do what God has organized them to do. We talked about it in Sunday school a lot today. It's just amazing how those messages, the Sunday school messages, seem to line up so much. 
So when God looks down at the church, what does he want to see? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever asked yourself the question, when God looks into our church, what does God want to see our church to be like? See, God sees the church as an extension of himself to the world. We are his hands and we're his feet. That's the way he put it in place. He could have come down and he could have just made us all, given us uh, a, a predetermination. Or he could have just come in and predestined all of us. And you're going to be this and you're going to be that and no choice about it. But that's not the way he did it. He gave us all free will. He gave us all free choice. And he, all, and he gave us commands to follow in the word. And now he's saying, are you following my word? Are you following it? And I know sometimes this kind of teaching can get hard. And it can seem like it's very judgmental. And it can be seen all performance based. I appreciate so much what Scott said today. God loves us so much. It's all about his love. Yes, it is all about the fact that God loves me. But that does not take the responsibility away from me that I have to do my part to do in return for his love to take my job responsibly as a church member and do what God has asked me to do because he loves me so much. We are the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says, And he, meaning Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Ephesians 5, 29-30 says, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. We are members of the body of Christ. We are all together in this thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. And Paul is describing here in a very easy to understand terminology the role of people with various gifts. So it must be that he had a problem, even in the early church, with people not knowing what, they, what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to fit in. So Paul tells the Corinthians, he says this, starting in verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now as you read the next set of scriptures, try to imagine what part of the body you are and what your function is. Because you have a function in the body. Whether you might recognize it right now or not, you have a function. If you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, if you're going to be part of the body that Christ is coming back for someday, if you're going to be caught up in the rapture, if you're going to be part of that, you have a functioning part of the body to do. Continuing with verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If a foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And finally, verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So God's intention for the church was for the church to be alive and active and fully functional. And we're given a great description here as Paul gave it to the Corinthians. If the body is going to be healthy and functioning, then every part must be actively engaged in doing what it does. A body has many members, but each member of the body has the same common goal. And what is that goal? To live. A finger, a foot, an elbow, all wants to live. It wants to be functional. It wants to be part of a functioning body. A dysfunctional body would not be effective. <laughs> I was kind of thinking about it through the week. And, you know, if you took a, if you took a look at a foot, for example, and all of a sudden the foot decided I, I didn't want to be walked on anymore, I'm always getting walked on. I, I carry the whole weight of the body. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being the foot. I want to be the eye. So I was going to have a couple of the youth come up, and I didn't do it, but I was going to have a youth person come up and take their shoes and socks off and stick, sit down and then stick their foot in the air because the foot wanted to see. And how effective would that have been for a person to sit down and put your foot in the air because your foot decided all of a sudden it wanted to be the eye? Now, how effective would that body be? How much would it get done? Or think about this. Or, or the ear all of a sudden decided, you know, the mouth really is, has, has a lot more fun than I have. The sense of taste and chewing things, it will be a lot more fun than being the ear and hearing is boring. So I want to be the mouth. So all of a sudden, that person takes a banana and sticks it in his ear and starts cramming that banana in his ear because that ear wants to taste the banana. Well, what would happen? Nothing. <laughs> would the ear taste the banana? No. And what would even compound it worse is that you couldn't even hear now because you've got a banana stuffed in your ear. So how dysfunctional is that? And so I know we could go on and on and have all kinds of funny little stories about how dysfunctional things are. Is it, but you know that's kind of what the body of Christ is sometimes. If we pick a role that we want, that's really not our role to pick. And all of a sudden now we say, no, we want to do that. Rather than do what God's called me to do, I want to do the thing that looks more fun. I want to do the thing that gets more glory. I want to do the thing that does this. And here's the challenge for a small church, because this is a small church. We're 50, 60, 70, 80 people. We have 30-some members. The, small, the, the problem with the small church is that there's a lot of roles to fill and few people to fill them. So unfortunately, what happens in a situation like that is that you, you have to be, be put into a place where you may not be gifted in a particular area, 
but you have to do it anyways because there's nobody else to fill it. So that's okay. If that's what it is, then do it. Then get involved and do it. But when you purposely, though, take that role and say, no, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. and I, This is my role, but I don't want to do that. I, I know that I'm a teacher, but I don't want to teach Sunday school anymore because I'm tired of it teaching Sunday school. Or whatever the example is, I don't care, you name it, whatever it is in your heart, when you purposely pull yourself out of it, then you're becoming a dysfunctional part of your family. And you're now hurting the body of Christ. And I understand, too, that there's good progression here. And it's important that we understand the progression of the body of Christ. Paul talks about it, and he gave good instruction to, those, to the church in, in, in Ephesus. He talks in Ephesians chapter 4. Begin at verse 14 through 16. He says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now what I see in this is so important is that there is a progression here of church growth. There is a progression that has to happen. There is a time period of attachment. There's a time period of commitment. There's a time period of joining together and supporting as ligaments to hold the body together as it becomes a functioning part of the, part of the body of Christ. Now I know that as visitors walk into a church or people come into a church that have been through bad experiences, they're just not capable of doing anything because they are hurt so bad. Or they're too young. They're not mature enough to take a real active role in leadership or whatever that role is. So for those people, thank goodness and thank God the church is supposed to be functioning because people need to come around those people and help them heal. And if you're burned out, if you come into a church setting, if you've been hurt in the past, you have every right and it's very appropriate for you to come into a body of believers and just sit and do nothing and let the body come around and heal you. But also, thank goodness that that's just a season of life, that that doesn't last forever. Because there comes a time that you will heal. God's healing power and his mercy is so great that he will heal. And after he does heal, then you need to take a role then of being the giver instead of the receiver for the next person that comes into the church that is burned out, that's bad, a bad experience, and they need to be healed. Too many times people come in and they want to be the receiver all the time. And they just want to sit and be received all the time and they want to be poured into. That's fine. But there comes a time when you need to grow up. There comes a time when we need to take another role, and now we need to be the giver and, re and help other, another person. It reminds me of a story I heard just speaking to a gentleman this week about a man came into their organization and says, I have a household of kids. It's in the middle of the wintertime. Uh, my propane tank is out. I have no money. My, my house is freezing. Can you help me? So the organization said, yes, we will. They, they checked into him, and sure enough, it was legitimate. They filled his propane tank up with propane fuel. 500 bucks, filled up his propane tank. The guy was happy, went all winter, heated his house, and so forth. Next spring came along, and this organization that did the helping, they go back to their people that they help sometimes, and they say, listen, we have a little project. We've got, some, we've got to do some work on this driveway. Would you, would you help us? Would you give us a hand? And the guy says, no, I don't have time. 
I don't, well, okay, would you do this for me? Because we have this thing that we need help in. And the guy said, no, I don't have time for that. Don't you see, I'm a busy person. I don't have time. Well, guess what happened the next fall? Next fall came along, and the guy was in the same predicament. He was out of propane. Guess what he did? He came back to that same organization. He says, hey, I'm out of propane. Can you help me? What do you think the answer was? What do you think it should have been? Not if that man wouldn't help himself first. If he would have gone to their aid when he needed to help. See, that's the thing. We sit in a situation sometimes that we think that we're entitled to everything. We have an obligation and we have a responsibility to help people around us. The progression is critical. Thank goodness and thank God that as a functioning church, there are people that can give and will always give, and that's help. That's great. But, you know, this is the problem in the church of America today. You go to any pastor, you go to any church, and this is the problem. There's an 80-20 rule that takes place. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Why is that? I see three areas. The three areas are pride, priorities, and purpose. Pride, priorities, and purpose. And I want to talk briefly about all those three areas because I think they're very important. A person that has too much pride to do what needs to be done. Yes, that person may be willing. He may be in the church. But he says, you know, that I'm, that's below me. I will do this. I will do this. But I'm not going to do that. What does Jesus say about pride? Where does, where does a prideful man end up? Okay, pride. Maybe willing to get involved, but he sees himself as too important to do that menial work that needs to be done. A bigger role, a more important role. Give me one that, that shows me more rather than doing the thing behind the scenes that needs to be done. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8 says, For the, bra- for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do what you're called to do. And if you have to go down a little bit, I like an example I heard even yesterday. Scott is the president and owner of his business. But Scott, what do you do on Saturday mornings? Clean the toilets. Scott, you're president. That's below you, man. Why are you cleaning your toilets? But you do what you have to do, don't you? And, the, and when pride steps in the way, then what are you doing to yourself? You're, you're a haughty man, and your pride goes before a fall. Pride. One of the reasons that people don't get involved. Priorities. This particular church course, Sunday, Sunday morning is a morning activity and not really thought of throughout the rest of the week. I go to church on Sundays. I come in, I do my praise and worship, I listen to the preacher, I do my thing, and then um, life gets on the rest of the week, and all of a sudden I am busy, 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 busy. I know what busy's about. I have been having two jobs and trying to close down a third job. I know what busy's about, and I understand and I appreciate busy. But you know what? There's a thing called a priority in life that is the most important thing over busyness. Because I know in all my busyness, when I wanted to play golf, I played golf. When I wanted to do what I wanted to do, I did it, even in the midst of my busyness. Priorities. Priorities. 
You know what priorities do? When you take priorities down the negative path, what happens is priorities have everything to do with selfish ambitions. Priorities have everything to do with selfish ambitions. And let's read what the Word says about selfish ambitions. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. That's terrible. That's what the acts, that's what the sinful nature is. It's terrible. Oh, what's the next one? Selfish ambition. Whoa. Well, you're talking now my priorities, man. Selfish ambition is right there with idolatry and witchcraft. And envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is your priority? What is your ambition? If it's selfish ambition, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did I make that up? Or is that in the Bible? Let's go on. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of, there's that big two words, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should not look only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. There's that big word, selfish ambition. And then James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Wait, 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 Mike. We're Christians. Now, all but you're, ta- you're talking about deeds all of a sudden? I'm saved by grace. Why are you talking about deeds? I don't know. Let's see what James says. James wants to do the talking. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and, whoa, there's that word again, selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Well, I would look at this as a hard word this morning, but I would also look at this as an opportunity of good encouragement to evaluate my priorities, to be sure that I'm not letting my selfish ambitions be in control of the things I choose to do when it comes to being a part of the body of Christ. We all have things to do, folks. I understand that. And there are things you cannot be at every function. I understand that. But when, when you purposely choose not to be a part of Bible studies, when you purposely choose not to be part of Sunday school, when you purposely choose not to be part of the community. But I hope that if you understand that when you choose to be part of the community of the body of Christ, you're putting yourself in a position of blessing. The third level is purpose. The purpose. And I think this is where many of our seniors struggle this morning. Because they love the church. And they love the people. And they're here and they're regular and they're attenders and they love the people. But you know, I'm, I just don't, I can't do what I used to do anymore. 
I, I just don't see my role anymore because I'm too old. I'm too tired. And, you know, there is some truth to that. It is, it is an opportunity. It is a time when the seniors that, are leading, that have been leading this church for, for many, many, many years, it is time for them to sit back a little bit and let the younger generations pick up the ball. It is appropriate. I'm not throwing any guilt factors on seniors here at all. But do let me encourage you, though, that there still is a function for you to do in the church. We need prayer warriors. We need people that are going to get on their knees or sit on your chair or whatever and pray. You can pray at home. You can pray at any time. You don't have to be in a church to pray. God does not just honor the prayers in church. There are things to do, seniors, and they don't have to be the big things. You've already done the big things. Now it's time to let the younger generation do the big things. But Mark tells us in chapter 9 of verse 41, it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Sometimes seniors, the younger people just need a cup of water. They just need somebody to come along and say, you're doing a good job. Give them a cup of water. Give them a word of encouragement. Come along behind them and say, I, I, you know, I feel for you. I've been there. But, you know, you're doing a good job. Give them a cup of water, and you will not lose your reward. God will honor that. There's a role. It doesn't make it any difference how young or how old you are. There is a role for you to do in this church. So let me go back to where we started this morning. When God looks down at our church, what is he seeing when God looks down through the ceiling and he looks down in this church and he sees us Sunday mornings, and then he also sees us, understand this too, he also sees us Monday through Saturday. He just doesn't see us when we're in this building. He sees us as a church in the community. Let me also, let me also ask the question again, what does the community see when it looks at the church? See, we're associated with the Assemblies of God Church of Charlevoix. Not just on Sunday mornings, but when you go to school, young people, when you go to work, when you go to your um, social organizations, social events, it doesn't make a difference where you're at. You are associated with the Assemblies of God. Now, when you live in front of those people, what are you showing them? What does the church look like to them? Is God seeing a body that's functioning in love for each other and growing? Is the community looking in and saying, I want to be like those people? I want to have what they have? Or are they looking at it and saying, wow, here's a challenge. This is where I want to leave it this morning. We are beginning a new phase in the life of this church. And this is the perfect time for everyone to reevaluate their own personal life and see if your actions, personal actions, are lining up with a functioning body or a dysfunctional body of Christ. And as I said before, Jesus is coming back for the body of Christ. He's not coming back for a dysfunctional body. We are not, by default, because we belong to this church, going to make the rapture. There is nothing in the Word that says, when you belong to the Shabbat Assembly of God Church, you're going to heaven. It doesn't say that. It says when you are part of a functioning body of Christ, and you're doing your part in the body of Christ, and when you are not chasing your selfish ambitions, and you're doing everything under your power and through the power of the Holy Spirit to do, you will then be qualified with the inheritance of the saints of light. You will then have that. 
And this is not an earning our salvation. So don't, do not confuse that. This is not an earning. This is a living out our salvation. So important that we understand the difference between earning salvation and living out salvation. We are instructed to work out your salvation. You are instructed to do that. That's not an earning. That is a working out. It is doing it because you love Jesus, because you do exactly what Scott said, because he loves us so much, we then have to do things. We want to do things because of his love for us. So as we conclude this morning, what do you want this church to be like? Where do you want this church to go? And what are you willing to do to make it that way? This is why this is so important. This is why it is so important that you, this body of believers right now, you are going to make the difference where this church goes in the future. This has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with the new pastor, really. It's all about what do you want? What do you want this church to be? I will, I will say this. From a pastor perspective, do you, do you want a quality pastor? I mean, what do you want in your next pastor? Do you want a man that's going to stand up and speak the word? Do you want a man that's going to feed you the word? Do you want a man that's going to do the best that he can with justice and love? Is that what you want out of a pastor? Okay, I, I'm assuming everybody's saying yes, because that's what I would want out of a pastor. Well, then this is what you have to do to get that pastor. You have to be willing to listen. And you have to be willing to be fed. And you have to be willing to be hungry. Because a pastor that is going to come up here and give you the word, if you're not receiving it, he won't stay. You want a quality pastor? Be a quality people. You want a quality pastor? Be a quality people. I understand that in a matter of a few months, I'm going to be sitting in your chair and I have to do everything I've just talked about. So what that means to me is that I have to examine my heart and say, Mike, are you going to be a quality church member? Are you going to do what you just said they need to do? That's a challenge, isn't it? And it's a good word. Because as I do things like this, the Lord will bless. He will bless you. He will bless this church as we honor him and do the things that we need to do, God will move in this church. Stand with me if you would. Father, I thank you for this day today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I really am appreciative of what you've done in our hearts and lives. I thank you for the spiritual growth personally that I've accomplished or I've had in the last three years, Lord, and I really, really thank you for that. And I believe others have grown here as well, and I thank you for that. So, Lord, now I pray that you give us a proper challenge and a proper motivation. Lord, I pray that no one walks out of here tonight or this morning feeling like um, I'm, I'm mean, I'm bad, I've hurt anybody. That's not the plan, Father. And if I have, I'm sorry. It's not the plan. The plan is to speak your truth in love. And that we would then grow and move and be, a, be the organization, be the church, be the body of Christ that you so badly want this church to be in the community of Charlevoix. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we would accomplish what you want us to accomplish. In Jesus' name. Amen.